0: In today's episode, I will talk with Matt Tenney, author of "Serve to be Great. Matt will explain how he took a five and a half year prison sentence and used it to transform his life and his career to where he is today. Let's do it. Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, where it's all about helping real engineers
1: to overcome real challenges and get real results. And
0: now for your host, who is on a mission to inspire as many engineers as possible, professional engineer and certified career coach, Anthony Fasano. Welcome to episode 34 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, one of my favorite episodes to date because I was able to talk with a gentleman who I'll introduce shortly, who was actually in prison for five and a half years and has transformed his life. And he really inspired me in the interview that you're about to hear. So before we jump right into that, I just have one announcement to make. I'm going to be putting on an event in Washington, DC at the end of April, and I need your help to fund the event. This is going to be the event for years to come on helping engineers develop both personally and professionally. It will be called the Engineering Career Success Summit. It's going to be two days of intensive sessions for engineers of various experience levels. And in order to fund this event and to bring in the caliber of speakers that I want to bring in, including Julie Cohen, who is a work life balance expert who was recently on our show, I need your help. So we're going to be funding the event through Kickstarter. And for you, as a gift for funding the event, you're going to be able to actually get tickets to the event at discounts of up to 40%, but we only have about 40 days to fund it. And we're right now, the campaign is in process. Simply go to engineeringevent.com and please check it out. And even if you can't attend the event, if you could support in any way, there's an option to get an ebook from me if you just make a donation. I'd really appreciate it. We need to start closing the gap in the engineering world on training for professional development for engineers. And this event is going to help us to do that. So with that, let's get right into today's show. I want to introduce my guest for today, who is just an amazing individual. I want to read to you an introduction for him so I make sure that I cover the different aspects of who he is. Matt Tenney is a social entrepreneur and the author of Serve to be Great, Leadership Lessons from a Prison, a Monastery, and a Boardroom. He is also an international keynote speaker, a trainer, and a consultant with the prestigious Perth Leadership Institute whose clients include numerous Fortune 500 companies. Tenny works with companies, associations, universities, and nonprofits to develop highly effective leaders who achieve lasting success by focusing on serving and inspiring greatness in people around them. Matt envisions a world where the vast majority of people realize that effectively serving others is the key to true greatness. When he's not traveling for speaking engagements, he can often be found in Nashville, Tennessee. So in the show that you're about to hear, in the interview that I'm about to do with Matt, you're going to hear how he spent time in prison and transformed himself. And it's so inspirational. I hope you take so much out of this interview. Let's get right into it now. All right. So now it's time for the main segment of our show today. And I'm excited to have Matt Tenney here with me. You just heard an introduction, a little bit of a background about Matt. And I want to get into kind of Matt's story with him and how he went from, you know, a real challenging place in his life and his career to where he's at today. Author of a book entitled Serve to be Great and, you know, doing a lot of great things, speaking programs to help people kind of transform. Matt, thanks so much for, for coming on the show here today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and why don't you start, Matt, by giving us a little bit of background about yourself and kind of how you you know got into the precarious situation that you did, where you did have to spend some time in the military prison. Why don't you start with that, and then we'll get into you know how you went from that situation to where you are today.
1: Sure, the situation was, um, you know, I I was a little bit. Uh, too focused on money at a certain time in my life. You know, I've, I've always been a very like type A, um, you know, very driven person, and I tend to get a little bit obsessed with goals. And I had set this, you know, goal for myself of being financially free by the time that I was thirty. And so I spent a whole ton of my time just, you know, studying, investing, and real estate, and stocks, and bonds, and options, and all these things. And it almost seemed as if the stars were aligned just perfectly when I was uh, I was on deployment. Serving as an officer in the Marine Corps, and this opportunity just kind of fell in my lap that would allow me to trick—I guess this is probably the best way to put it—to trick the U.S. government into delivering a pretty large sum of money wherever I asked them to. Now, you know, up to that point in my life, I'd been a pretty straight shooter. You know, I was a Marine officer. My friends in college had called me a prude. You know, because I would never break the rules. So, you know, at first, I didn't think there's no way I would actually ever try to do something like this. But over a period of a couple months. It was three, four, five months somewhere there. My, my attitude started to change. And I I think it was because I was just so focused on, on money. You know, I did all this rationalizing. I told myself things like, oh, well, you don't have to take anything from a person. This would be a victimless crime. And this is all garbage, right? But I started believing this garbage that I was telling myself. Hmm. And I eventually arranged the unauthorized delivery of almost $3 million um, of US government money. And once I had the delivery arranged, and I realized there was absolutely no way that I could steal three million dollars. I did not want to be a criminal. I didn't even have a plan for picking the money up. But it was, you know, it was too late. I had already by arranging that delivery, I, I had already broken a law. I had committed a bank fraud. And so I was you know, taken to court martial. I was um, found guilty of bank fraud. And I ended up spending five and a half years confined to a military prison as a result.
0: Wow, wow. And let's stop there for a minute. And everyone listening, I know a lot of engineers that I talk to on a regular basis. What people do, and I'm not just engineers, I think this goes for everyone, is a lot of times we do attach the idea of money to the word success. And I think it's it certainly can be problematic. I mean, listen, we all need to make money to survive to some degree, but my approach with a lot of engineers in their careers has always been, you know, let's find out what you want to do as an engineer, what makes what gets you fired up about engineering? What discipline do you want to be in? And let's go after that. And if you do that, the money will follow. But I think what Matt's describing here is I think it's almost something that we, a lot of us, grow up here with here in the US and that idea and that to be successful, you have to make a lot of money period and i think you can see from what matt has talked about here because of that mentality he was basically self-talking with himself and justifying doing something that was a crime basically to try to bring him towards i guess what you would say matt was kind of your definition of success at the time right
1: that's that's correct yeah okay and i agree with your sentiment you know i think there's a tendency to equate you know success not only with money but just with the achievement of, of goals, you know, that we, we place these carrots out in front of us and think, oh, I'll, I'll be content, I'll be happy once I achieve that goal. And what I've noticed is that, you know, from a leadership perspective, from a business perspective, which I'm sure we'll get into later, but, you know, when we tend to focus on these on these goals, you know, that I call uh, do goals, you know, like making money or having a certain level of career what happens is we we tend to neglect the relationships that are actually the driver of long-term success. We tend to do things like I did and rationalize a decision that is, is a terrible decision. And we might take a shortcut to do something and end up you know burning bridges, cutting off relationships that are very important.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. And when I work with engineers, I do try to get them to focus on a goal. But what I've been trying to do as well is, is to help them to even though they might have a goal of reaching a certain level in their company i try to have them really enjoy the process of getting there and like yeah. you're saying the relationships that go into it instead of just trying to blindly speed ahead and get to that end point which i think is kind of what you're saying right
1: exactly yeah there's definitely nothing wrong with having goals i mean i you know i have 5 year goals 1 year goals you know i have all these things written out but what i've learned is that if that becomes the focus to the point where you know, I'm more, more concerned with achieving a goal than I am with doing the right thing along the way and treating people right along the way, then one, I don't enjoy it at all. And even if I achieve the goal, uh, I won't be happy for long when I achieve it, but I will have done things along the way that, you know, don't contribute to long-term success or happiness.
0: Got it. All right. So before we get into the next part where we talk about Matt's transformation while he's in prison, I just want to mention quickly, you know, Matt does have his book and what he just talked about is, from what I understand, is basically in the first chapter of his book because I'm going to link in the show notes here to where you can get Matt's book. And I know on the Wiley site, Matt, they have the first chapter available if people want to read it and kind of explains Matt's story that he just talked about in a little bit more detail. And you can check that out. And then, you know, of course, if you're interested, you can get the book. But so that's that's how we got to this point. Now, Matt, you're in this prison where you serve five and a half years. And what I really want to understand from you is you went through this process. What happened in that five and a half years that really transformed you to kind of turn into the person that you are today?
1: Well, the, you know, kind of the, sh- the short answer is it really had had nothing to do with, with me, I guess. I mean, I feel just very fortunate that kind of the, the right things were in place um, that allowed me to... To turn what was initially the, the absolute worst thing that had ever happened to me into what has become the foundation for everything that I do. Now I, I would say that maybe one portion of it that is just a, a trait that I have. I think I got from my mother, which is to, to kind of always be asking, you know, what's, what's the good in a situation? You know, and like what, what can you learn from things even when it's unpleasant? I, so I feel like maybe having that attitude of, What's good about this? What what possible good can come out of it? So what can I learn that would help me to be of service to others? I think you know I did have that attitude within a short time, and I think that's an attitude that can be cultivated. Which again, if you like, you know maybe you can jot a note down. We'll talk about a little bit more about that as well. So what happened for me was, you know, the first couple months were just miserable. You know, I I was actually suicidal for a while. You know, I'd been I'd been told by my military attorney that I was you know probably going to spend seventy five years in this in this brig cell. And at the time I was in what was essentially solitary confinement in a six by nine cell that was about the, you know, the size of a closet spending 22 mm. hours a day alone. And I was just thinking, Oh my gosh, I mean, I could possibly spend 75 years in this closet. You know, this is terrible, you know, and yeah. I, I really didn't see any, any hope. And then, you know, after a couple of months I found that, okay, I'm not going to be there seventy eight years. It's going to be more like five or six. Uh, I could at least, you know, wrap my head around that. I started to adjust. And, and I think that's where the, that kind of positive attitude started to kick in where I started to think, okay, I've got all this time on my hands. You know, What could I possibly do to make this something uh, positive, you know, where uh, where I grow, where I use what I learned to help other people. And it's, I started asking some of the deeper questions of life. Eventually, and you know, I started wondering, well, you know, why are we here? What is happiness about? And, and eventually the question came to mind, you know, I wonder if it's possible to be happy in this place with nothing no possessions, no money. Is it possible to be happy here? Just equally as happy as I could be anyplace else. Hmm. And very fortunately for me, I started learning about, about a year into my time in confinement, I started learning about this very simple practice called mindfulness training, um, which is just a very simple way of training the mind, which I imagine we'll, we'll probably discuss in more detail as well. Uh, and within about six months of beginning that practice, I noticed that I was actually thriving in one of the most stressful environments in the world. And I remember there was one day where it just, it really clicked, you know, where I was in a yard. I was no longer in solitary confinement, but I was was still confined. And I was in this yard with some grass. And I remember just, you know, looking at the grass, seeing the sunlight hit it. And I was just standing there smiling and I felt completely content and completely happy. And I realized, oh my gosh, I think I'm actually happier here than I've ever been in my life with nothing. Hmm. And so that gave me this tremendous amount of faith in the practice, and I, I wow. decided well, I'm going to go all the way with this. You know, i had been learning principally from monks, uh, and I just, you know, everything that they had said had been working. So I decided I'm going to live, I'm going to live and train exactly as a monk. And so I kind of transformed the prison into my own monastery, you know, my own training center for personal development. And I spent the last three years of my time there living and training exactly as monks train.
0: Matt, let me let me stop you there for a minute. Sure. How did you, because that was really amazing how you had that moment. I mean, you know, we're talking about in prison and, you know, Matt's telling us here that he's the happiest that he's ever been. And I want to go back to where you said that you were learning from monks. Explain that to me. Were you reading stuff or was there actually someone there? Or?
1: Oh, no. Yeah. So the, I was very lucky. I, I just happened to stumble upon mindfulness in a book in the prison library And it made a lot of sense to me. And so I asked my mom to send me, you know, I said, can you send me three or four books on mindfulness? And she she just happened to send me some books that were fantastic and really inspired me to practice and gave some really practical ways to start practicing. So I was learning principally, well, actually entirely through books for the first uh, couple of years. Eventually, when I was transferred to Fort Leavenworth, there was um, some people that came in that were familiar with the practice that helped as well. But the people that I was learning from principally were you know monks who had given talks that were recorded and turned into
0: books. Okay. And I asked that too, because I personally, one of my favorite books is The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma. Oh, yeah. I talk about it a lot. And um, I've actually distilled the book down into a journal for me. And I read a lot of the stuff on a regular basis. And it's very helpful. And it helped me to start to do some meditation in the morning and start to do some other things. It's very helpful. So the fact that you mentioned that, and I know that was real a real basis for how you found this happiness. So I just wanted to kind of elaborate on that. So I appreciate that.
1: Sure. Yeah, no problem.
0: So you hit this part where you uh, you got to this point where you, you were feeling really happy. And basically, it sounds like you just were able to spend so much of your time on kind of developing yourself in this mentality.
1: Yeah. And, and what what came out of the being more rigorous about the actual monastic training is monastic training is very simple. It's just basically giving up all of your own, you know, following your own desires and seeking pleasure and devoting yourself 100% to becoming the most, you know, kind, compassionate, service-oriented person that you can become and helping other people to be free from their suffering. So it's it's a life that's completely and entirely devoted to the service of others. And so that for me was... As transformative, or perhaps more transformative, than realizing that you know you can train the mind to be happy even in a in a pretty terrible situation, because that that just provided so much meaning, and that's what's informed everything that I've done since. You know, everything that I've done since has been focused not on you know what goals can I hit in terms of you know revenues or things like this, but what can I do to make the biggest impact? And to give an idea of how how much meaning that gave my time there, you know, is. I could see how what I was doing, my practice, and the fact that I was interacting with people and helping them to to manage the situation in more skillful ways, uh, I could see that I was having an impact not only around me, but you know, as as people left and guards went home, I was having an impact even outside of the facility. And I just realized how meaningful our lives are, you know, how meaningful even just the most simple interaction can be with a coworker, with you know, somebody that maybe even just in passing, you know, just. How meaningful each interaction is, and it inspired me so much and gave so much meaning to the time there that you know we we were required to get up at uh, five in the morning. There was an alarm that went off, and I actually set an alarm for four to get up an hour early. You know, most people there were trying to sleep their day away. They would try to go back to sleep as soon as they could to do you know pass the time. And I was actually waking up an hour early, adding an hour to my day because. I was so inspired to get up and train and and do the practices that I know would help me become a better person and help the people around me.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: So that's, what's kind of fueled everything. And after leaving confinement, I I almost became a monk actually. And then I kind of realized that for me, that wouldn't be so challenging. You know, I was totally happy with no possessions. And so if I wanted to grow more, I should maybe follow that same direction, but do it in the, in the real world, you know, kind of in quotes there. Hmm. And so I, and I just looked, started looking for ways that I could be of service. I ended up co-founding and leading a couple of nonprofit organizations and then starting my own speaking and training company. And what, what kind of fueled that was just, I was realizing how, how powerful it is when we make serving others our top priority and prioritize that above our own personal ambition, realizing how that was affecting my own personal life, you know, the organizations that I was a part of. And I, I started realizing like, you know, if businesses operated in this way, if leaders operated in this way on a consistent basis, they'd probably have tremendous success. I mean, it's kind of intuitive, right? If you're, if you're really serving the people around you, then you build these highly collaborative teams, you know, people have your back, people who are, who are followers of a team. If you're a leader, um, you have so much more influence with them. So they come to work much more engaged, more productive. Um, and so that's what's kind of fueled the, The work that I do with with leaders of different organizations is to help them make this connection between making serving the people around you a higher priority than short-term goals like quarterly profits or, you know, revenues or expenses, you know, things like this, and how that translates into better long-term success. And there's countless organizations that prove that that's the, the case, you know, where if you focus on serving and caring for your people over the long term, the numbers are better. Yep. But then also providing people with real, realistic tools that help you to be more effective at that, you know, that help you to, to be more effective at being resilient in situations that are highly demanding and still be able to go through with this sense of composure, this this sense of calm where you're able to be effective at not only doing your job, but serving the people around you.
0: Sure. That's, again, I think the whole story is extremely powerful and Before we get into your kind of life after prison, just a question, because I had an expert come on the show a little while ago, uh, his name's Leo Gora, and he had an interesting, he has a great website called actualize.org, and he does a lot of videos on personal development and different aspects of personal development. And the reason that I had him come on specifically was to talk about willpower, Mm -hmm. because that's such an important thing if you're trying to make transformations, as you know, or make changes in your life you need to have willpower to be able to create these new habits. And one of the things that Leo discussed as the biggest way to build willpower was meditation because of how it strengthens a certain part of your brain and because it gives you some of that clarity. And I'm just curious, I'm sure obviously that you meditate based on, you know, the whole idea of monks and what you did. Can you talk about that? Because one of the things that is a struggle for a lot of engineers and corporate professionals is that meditation is often a word that people frown upon, or it's something where they say, listen, I'm a type A, like you said, I'm a type A, 100 mile an hour type of person. How can I start to actually do something like that? And and what are the benefits it can have? So maybe you can just address that for a few minutes.
1: Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Well, one is that, you know, I think a lot of people hear the word meditation and they think of some yogi in a diaper sitting on a mountain <laughs> with their legs crossed, you know, and, and that's not at all what mindfulness meditation is. Now there are, you hear meditation is this very broad word and it means so many things. But what mindfulness practice is, is uh, very, very simple. And it is, you know, it is referred to as a form of meditation, but it's, it's all science based, extremely practical. So the idea is, you know, you don't need a diaper sitting on a mountain. You don't need a guru. All you need to do is train your mind. And what what to me is what is amazing about what you just said. And and I I do mindfulness workshops all the time. Oftentimes I'll do a keynote at a conference and then I'll do breakouts on mindfulness training specifically. And I, I ask this question all the time. I say, okay, so who here would agree with me that, you know, all success and failure begin in the mind and there, everyone agrees. I've never had anyone disagree with me. Right? We all know this. We know that everything that we either do or fail to do originates in the mind. And then I ask, okay, well, that, I'm glad we all agree on that. And how many people do you know personally that take time every day to make their mind function more effectively, to train their mind to function more effectively? And almost no one raises their hand. Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> and I think this is so amazing. <laughs> so if we, if you are a Type A person like me and you want to achieve better results, to me, it's pretty logical that, you know, the key to achieving better results is a mind that functions better. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, adding knowledge, uh, you know, reading books, that's great. I'm talking about how the mind actually functions, you know, how cognition works, how we deal with uh, all these different aspects of mind. And f- for most of us, because we don't train our minds, for most of us, the mind is actually our greatest obstacle to success, right? It's a source of anxiety, it's a source of limiting thinking, It can be the source of uh, conditioned habits that how we relate to people that kind of unconsciously undermine relationships or undermine our ability to succeed. So I think this is a huge paradigm shift is that if we put a little energy into training the mind, you know, we can take this thing that's normally our biggest obstacle and transform it into a tool that actually becomes the fuel for our continued greater success. So, again, coming back to this word meditation, people think, oh, I have to sit still with my eyes closed. 30 minutes a day or something. And that may be something that you do eventually, but I always try to get people started just in without changing anything that you already do in your life. You don't have to change anything. There's all these things that we have to do every day. Anyhow that we do in a totally heedless way that just perpetuates our lack of mindfulness. And if we just shift our approach to those things that we have to do anyhow, we can start to train the mind because really all the training is, is it's learning to sustain attention in the present moment not focusing on an object. It's not like you're trying to concentrate on looking at a candle or something like that. It's just, no, how long can you be aware of the present moment without being distracted by your thinking?
0: Hmm.
1: And research would tell us that for the average human, it's eight seconds.
0: Wow.
1: The average human being can only sustain attention for eight seconds before they get distracted by their thinking. By contrast, um, the average attention span for goldfish is nine seconds. So (laughs) that that lets you know we have some work to do. We're smart, but we don't orient attention very well.
0: So Matt, just real quick, would an example be on that point? Let's just say washing the dishes. If you were going to wash the dishes every night after dinner, which I'm sure many people do, to practice mindfulness, you would just make sure that you're focusing on every single thing you're doing there 100%. Yeah. And
1: what I would suggest is that's a great example. Anthony is, you know, you you wash the dishes or you wash your hands or you, you know, you make the bed or brushing the teeth. I hope everyone we can agree. Everyone brushes their teeth at least once a day. But whatever the activity is, you know, you just maybe start, which is very small, just start with one or two of these activities. And to come back to your example of washing the dishes, you know, it's if you think about how do we normally wash the dishes? You know, it's it's we're maybe 10 percent there washing the dishes and 90 percent. We're kind of talking to ourselves in our mind. Right. And so the idea of mindfulness training is not that we want to get rid of thinking. It's not that we want to have this empty mind. Cause that's to me is like being a zombie. Right. The point is, it's this very subtle, subtle shift in perspective where instead of being that voice in our heads and being in these images that we create in our heads, it's that we are aware of those things. And a very simple way to become aware of those things is to be aware of what the body is doing. So it's kind of like, you know, getting out of your head and just being aware, okay, the body is here standing in this kitchen, Hmm. washing the dishes. And a simple way to do that is just, you know, kind of ask the question from time to time, what's happening right now? What is this moment like? And that could include, okay, there's soap suds on the hands. There's, you know, my hands are wet and warm. There are some thoughts going through my mind and that's fine. The point is to just be aware of that And you will notice that if you can, it's almost as though you're observing yourself washing the dishes. Like you're just kind of like this passive observer watching this, watching yourself wash the dishes. If you can sustain that for a couple of minutes, what you start to see is that all of a sudden you're fully in your body. You feel what it's like to be there. You're no longer being pulled into your thinking. You can watch thoughts come and go almost as though you're watching a television screen. And that is what the perspective of mindfulness is. It's just where you are aware of the state of mind, you're aware of the emotional state of the body, and you're not being those things, you're not caught in them, and that's it. So if, if you can start with just little activities like that, you don't have to change anything. Just, if you think of all the things you have to do every day anyhow, walking to your car, you know, brushing your teeth, drinking water, washing the hands, getting dressed, there's so many things that we have to do that we normally do in a way that's totally heedless. And if we, if we switch it, if we say, okay, I'm going to try to be fully present with these activities and practice in the way that Matt just described, what happens is a couple of things. One is you find that you're much happier in your life because you're starting to live more of your life instead of always thinking about what's coming next and missing 90% of our lives because we're caught in our heads. And then the second thing that happens is not only do you become happier, but you're actually training attention. I mean, you can just imagine all of the areas of your lives you'd be more effective if you can sustain attention in the present moment without being distracted for longer periods of time. Hmm. Right. Wow. And then the, that's the basis of the training. And what comes out of that is you start to develop wisdom, which is another topic that is, uh, we could talk about if you
0: like. I'm not another sure. Another podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really wanted you to touch on that because I do think it's important and I appreciate that. So, but let's get into now. You come out of, prison and you know, we know a little bit already that you have doing the speaking and the training now, which and we kinda understand the basis for that, which is service and serving others. But just the the one question that I have for you is, I mean, you were in prison, you you told us that you tried to arrange to three million dollars that you were trying to extort and You come out of prison now and you need to, or you want to do something of service. And, you know, I mean, you have this book now that just came out with Wiley, which is amazing, which I congratulate you on. But how do you go from someone who comes out of prison, who obviously, I mean, the first uh, judgment from people is going to be like, you know, this guy tried to steal $3 million. He was in prison to someone who's now being able to go around. You have this book with Wiley and you're doing speaking, you're doing training, you're going to conferences how did you overcome whatever judgments or whatever people might have thought about you? I mean, that must've been challenging. I'm just curious as to how you did that.
1: Interestingly, it, it wasn't that challenging. Um, what I've noticed is that if you're transparent and vulnerable and completely forthright with people that builds so much, it, it creates such a connection, you know? And and so I just kind of realized, you know, my, my story, and this is not my tendency. My tendency is to hide my faults and to not talk about them and kind of put on this persona of I'm, you know, I'm this great person. I do these great things. Uh, so it was very out of my nature. It was that I guess in, in that respect, it was challenging, but I realized I had no choice. I mean, my, my story was on the news, you know, so I mean, people were aware of this. It's very easy to find, you know, if you just Google my name. So it's not like I could hide this, you know, I so I just kind of almost by, default. I had to just realize, I realized I had to be completely honest with people. And so whether it's a friend, a potential employer, or now, you know, I hire employees. So, you know, with the potential employees, it's the, this idea of, you know, Hey, here's something that, that I want you to know about me. And here's, here's what I did wrong. And I own that. And here's what I learned from it. And this is, this is how I think that what I learned can help not only me, but others to, to be better. Of course, you know, that, that can be a, a completely different conversation depending on who I'm talking to. Sure. But the idea is just by being completely, you know, trying to get that out in the open as quickly as possible, I've noticed that people, people really appreciate that. And I, and I've actually, you know, I just, I actually just wrote a blog post about this for um, a site in Australia that I think will come up in a couple of weeks. But what I've noticed as I work with different leaders is that's an extremely powerful trait, you know, to own failure, to own faults. For several reasons, you know, one, if you're a leader and you're setting the example, it lets people know that they can do the same and that helps them to be more self-aware. It helps them to not fear failure as much. I mean, you've probably seen this in the engineering world. If you have, if there's this culture of of fear of failure, then no one's going to innovate, are they? You know, no one's going to take time to work on a project that could fail because they're so afraid of failure and they, they could get fired. Whereas if, you know, failure is something that people talk about openly, faults are talked about openly it's then it creates this it creates this space where people are willing to to work on something that challenges the status quo and and innovate. Hmm. But what I've noticed is that people people just connect more. They see you as a human. They see you as somebody that you can trust. Even though I did something that was dishonest and and dishonorable, I think people just see that they can trust me because I'm not going to hide anything from them. I, I immediately tell them, look, this is the worst thing I ever did. Right. And this is this is why I did it and you know, I was dishonest. I took a shortcut and people say, well, I guess uh, there's no, there's no skeletons in your closet. Yeah, right, so right. It's, it's almost like it kind of opens the air, you know, and I've known, I've actually had people come and tell me after speeches, you know, they said, I connected with you so much more than I have other speakers that only talk about how successful they've been, and you know, how great they've been, because it just, it I felt like, you know, we all fail and I, and I, I could connect with you as a human being. And I just think that, that that has been so powerful. And, and again, I've seen that with, with leaders who are very effective in large organizations. They're very transparent. Hmm. So I think that's one aspect, is just being completely forthright, open and honest about failure and fault. The second is that you know, my, everything that I've done has been motivated by the aspiration to serve. So like, for instance, you know the, my company, we don't there's no shareholders accumulating wealth. I pay employees a fair salary. I haven't paid myself a salary yet, but when I do, it'll be fair. And all of the profits go to charity. So the mm-hmm. idea is, you know, I'm not going out being, creating a speaking business to make a million dollars. It's not, I, I think I deserve to have a roof and you know, food right, right, right. But, and I'll pay myself enough to do that. But it's completely motivated by the aspiration to serve, to help create organizations that, you know, are more successful over the long term by focusing on serving and caring for their people. Because I know that makes our world a better place. Um, and so I think what happens is when you combine that, the willingness to, to completely talk about, to be freely talk about fault and failure with a genuine aspiration to serve, people pick up on that. And, you know, I've had so many people just reach out to help me because they believe in that message. They believe that we need more people in our world who are focused on serving instead of, you know, getting rich. Right. And so they want to help. You know, and I just had there's so many people that have made. I mean, there was there. I, I couldn't have done one tenth or one one hundredth of what has happened without the help of so many people. It's all it's all based on relationships. People. I mean, my book with Wiley that happened because I met one of their best selling authors, who you know was just inspired by the nonprofits that I had done and the fact that I was working on a book to inspire servant leadership. And he was passionate about service and he said, I want to introduce you to my publisher. Wow, and three amazing. weeks later, I had a book deal with <laughs> Wiley. Normally it takes you like two years to get a book deal, you know?
0: Oh yeah, I know.
1: But I think it was because he was, gen- he could genuinely see that, you know, the, the main focus was service. And so the way he sees it is I'm helping further his mission, which is to inspire service. Right. So if he helps me, he's helping himself. He's helping, you know, everyone. And I think those are kind of the two things that have made it so that it, ha- Hasn't not only has it not really been an obstacle, it's actually been something that I think has improved relationships with people. Because I think a lot of us have faults that you know, like oh, should I really tell somebody about this? It's not that big a deal. But I have a major, major fault, you know, a major failure. Right. And so it's you know, it's bringing that out in the open. I think it's just it really creates resonance with people. And then when they see that the aspiration is to serve, that people tend to resonate with that and connect with that as well.
0: Again, I think that the, the story is inspiring. And for those of you listening, I'm going to be putting the show notes up on the website at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash service, and you can get the access of all the notes. And I'll put links to all any of the references or resources that Matt and I spoke about here. And I'll also, I'll reach out to Matt and get a couple of the books that he read on mindfulness so we can put them into the into the post so that you can find those books as well. And I just have one more question for Matt and then Matt, I'll ask you to hang out for a minute and we'll do the last portion of the show. I try to give one actionable piece of advice to the listeners and maybe you can help me out on mindfulness. Maybe we'll focus on today. But before I do that, let me just ask you this this one last question, which is when you're in prison, you don't really have anything to do. In other words, there's no cell phones, emails, responsibilities. You had a lot of time to focus on mindfulness and personal development Which is great. Now you're running an an organization. So now, like all of our listeners out there, you have a lot of probably different things that can pull at your time, like your emails and phone calls and and other kinds of requests. And the question is, is how have you been able to maintain mindfulness and and still practice some of these things that you had once had X amount of hours a day to, to work on solely now that you're in this business? Because I think the one thing that a lot of engineers struggle with, and I'm sure more than just engineers, is how do you accomplish all the stuff that you're trying to do in a day, but then also make the time to develop yourself, your brain, like you spoke about, the mindfulness. Maybe you could speak on that for a few minutes before we wrap up.
1: Sure. Well, yeah. uh, Even before I get into anything personal, there's a, a company that I talk about quite a bit, they actually hired tons of engineers uh, in computer engineering, at least, um, but they're a company called Next Jump. And to give you an example of, I think I think the idea, you know, which, what you're getting at, I think is a very powerful point. I think it really comes down to we have to define what productivity means, you know, and we have to be really clear on what being productive means. Because I think for so many of us, we, we get caught up in what seems to be you know very urgent and we tend to neglect what's really important. Right. And so if we get really clear on what's most important to us, then it makes it so much easier to prioritize that. You know, if we remind ourselves every day, like, okay, this is what's really important. This is what I really value. And I want to make sure that things I do every day are in line with what's really important to me and what I really value, not just for tomorrow, but, you know, think of like a five or 10 year plan. Like what's really, really important to me. And then productivity is then determined based on whether it's aligned with that. Gotcha. And so I'll give you a perfect example of that. This company, NextJump, they actually have gotten to a point where their employees are spending fifty percent—and yes, that is five zero percent—of their time. So half of their paid time is spent on personal development. <laughs> wow! Half, and this company has absolutely unbelievable business outcomes. Their revenue since they started doing that, their revenues have surp- far surpassed anything that they had done in any year previously, and it's been and it's been continuing to grow. They have a higher rate of around 0.5 percent or less. I know in 2012 they had 18,000 people apply for 35 open positions. So I mean, they they are achieving just absolutely incredible business outcomes. Wow. And the reason I mention that is because sometimes we think, oh, if I just do more, do more, do more, do more. If I if I get through all these emails, if I do all this to do list. That's productivity. And what they prove is that that's usually not the case. What happens is if you try to do things to do lists that what seems urgent for eight hours a day, right. most, most people can't sustain that. They end up getting distracted. They get burnt out and they might be able to do it for a day, maybe two days, maybe a week, but then they spend a whole day on Facebook or something, you know, because yeah, they just burnt out. Right. But what happens is if you spend half of your time and in this case, they're spending half of their time developing themselves. And then during the half of the time when they're doing the to-do list, they're so focused, they're so productive, they get so much more done. So it's just this this shift in priorities of their priority is more, what can we do to develop people over the long term versus what can we get out of them over the short term? And the the side effect is that they get more out of people in the short term. (laughs) They're not trying to suck the life out of them. And I've kind of noticed that in my own life as well, is that this may take, not everyone's. I think is going to grasp this concept immediately. But what I've noticed is that I've had a shift in why I pursue goals. I think goals are wonderful, but I, it used to be I wanted to pursue goals just so I could do it. You know, and say so I got that done. And it's like I wanted I want to accomplish this thing. And now I realize that the, the re, I set goals because I think they're going to make an impact in our world that they're going to make a difference. And I do them just because. W- why do anything other than that? I mean, that's a, that's an awesome way to to live. You know, really? is to try to do things that inspire you and inspire others but I don't do them with the thought that they're going to provide satisfaction. So that's what's really helped me is Mm -hmm. I've realized that satisfaction is, am I enjoying the work that I'm doing right now? Am I treating people well? You know, am I present with people? Am I so caught in my head that I'm in this anxious, miserable, stressed out state all the time? Or am I actually enjoying the moment to moment process of doing the work that I do? Right. And what I've noticed is that You can have both. You can have the goals. It's just, I've realized through my own experience that if I focus on the goal and I think that they're going to make me happy and bring satisfaction, they never do. So instead of having the goals thinking that they're going to bring me happiness and satisfaction, I have the goals because I think, well, I have to make a living. If I'm going to do a living, I might as well do something that inspires me and helps other people. Hmm. So I set goals based around that.
0: That's awesome. But I don't
1: see that as... This is what's going to bring me fulfillment. What's going to bring me fulfillment is actually having a state of mind that's contented and satisfied in this moment, enjoying the work that I do, enjoying the people that are around me and doing whatever I can to help the people around me suffer a little bit less and be a little happier. Wow. That makes life really enjoyable. It makes it really easy to, to not lose sight of the practice because that's what the practice is. You know, you're practicing each, and each moment to do those things, which helps you to do those things better in the future.
0: That is powerful. And, and it's funny that you talk about exactly that because just a couple of weeks ago on one of my past episodes, episode 32, which I'll link to in these notes, I, I did something called, I challenged everyone, all my listeners to work one week, just work four hours a day. And the reason for it is because I tried this myself, and when you cut your work time down, what it did for me—exactly what you were talking about—is it forced me to identify the things that were really critical and the most <clears> important, you know, to what I wanted to achieve. And it was kind of really like uh, mind-blowing to me. And so I kind of challenged everyone else to do it. And one of the things that I that I pointed to in the show was a book that I'm just about finished reading, which is called "The One Thing" by Gary Keller where he talks about the way that he's achieved amazing results and helped companies to do that is have identified those main things. And that's just one thing necessarily, but in, in, so, in each of the projects you're working on, you can say, what is the one thing in this project that I can do to make it the best possible project that it can be? And I think taking on that mentality really helps to do what you're talking about is, you know instead of going through a to-do list every day of a million little things that you're doing, identify those key things that you can do that have amazing impacts. And if you take that approach, you'll find that your days are much more fulfilling. Your results are extraordinary and you're not, so to speak, a slave to the idea of the grind of like, do this, do this, do this, check it off, check it off, check it off. So that's been powerful and that's been helpful. And again, I'll link to that episode for those of you out there that want to want to give that a shot. So what I want to do now is, before we let Matt go, I'm going to ask Matt to stick around for a minute. We're going to go into the final segment of the show today, which is the Take Action Today segment. And Matt and I will try to give you one action that you can literally do today or tomorrow to try to make some shifts in your career, in your life, based on some of the topics that Matt spoke about. So let's get to that now. All right. So now it's time for the take action today segment. And I'm going to set this up for Matt. I'm going to give him kind of an example of I'm an engineer and this is something I do throughout my day. And I'm going to see if Matt can come up with a couple of tips here to try to help me become more mindful. So Matt, as an engineer, what my day might look like, and it will be varying for different engineers, but I'll do my best here. I'm going to come into the office and I'm going to be working on a project of whatever that project may be. And some of the things that might be involved in my day would be Managing people or meetings around this project, looking at project plans and specifications and reviewing them, having correspondence with some of my clients or some outside agencies. So between plan review and specifications, correspondence with clients, maybe team meetings, just give me a couple of actionable things that I can do as an engineer to try to be more mindful, try to immediately try to implement some mindfulness into my day.
1: Sure, that's actually uh that's a great great scenario because a day like that, I mean, one of the things that I think people get really confused is they think, you know, if if I'm trying to be mindful then I should not be thinking, you know, and and that's definitely not the case because with the scenario you just described, there's going to be tons of information that needs to be processed, right? There're going to be the brain is going to need to work a lot during that day to to organize data and reasonable ways in the mind. so one very very simple thing to do is that what we most of us tend to do is that we don't we don't realize that there are times where information needs to be actively processed where maybe it's better you know if we're in there like actively working on a problem in the mind and times when we don't need to do that. and what happens is if we create uh, some space around that then the times when we need to actively process data the mind processes data more effectively. And when we don't need to process data, we let it go and we allow the mind to kind of process in the back, like subconsciously, but we're not in there actively involved in it. And so here's a very, a very simple practical way to to make this happen. So let's say you just had a conversation with a couple project team members and, and now you need to kind of make a transition to go, to go back and do some of the things that are your part, your tasks for this project. So what I think a lot of us would tend to do is if we're walking from the phone to where we need to be to work on this project, or maybe we don't take a break at all, is that, you know, we're just, we're in there just talking to ourselves, talking to ourselves constantly. And what I recommend is, you know, whether it's that particular moment or any moment when we don't need to actively be thinking on a problem, where we don't need to be processing information actively, is to kind of let go of that tendency to get in, to be in there talking to ourselves all the time and just make the ask this question of well, what's actually happening right now and what is it like to walk um, what does it feel like as my feet hit the ground and there could still be tons of thoughts going on but the thing is we don't get in there and mess around with it and talk to ourselves it's just we're aware of the fact that there's thinking but we're also aware of what the body is doing in this moment now here's where it gets kind of interesting you have you ever had tip of the tongue phenomenon where you're trying to think of something or think of somebody's name and it's right there and you can't get it
0: right yep absolutely
1: when do you get it
0: later, some later time
1: when you're not thinking about it, right, right? Right. The moment you stop thinking about it, the solution comes. And so this is what you might notice is that not only does this help bring down stress levels so that you think more clearly, you have more energy throughout the day because you're taking time when you, when you're not actively thinking, working on a problem to let go of, continue to just chew on it and obsess on it and just say, okay, what is it like to walk? You know, maybe take an intentional five minute break, go outside, get some fresh air and just be fully present with it. And then what you might notice is that boom, five minutes into your break, this idea comes up and you say, Oh, that's the key idea for the project. That's not the goal. The goal is just to start training the mind to realize that you don't need to be in there chewing on stuff all the time. But one of the side effects is that in addition again to being less stressed, is that sometimes the you'll find that the best solutions that you ever have come more easily to you because you've trained to kind of intentionally let go of the, of the thinking process. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's very interesting. And I hope those of you listening can try that in your engineering careers. I hope that you can try to be fully engaged in the moment and try some of the strategies that Matt spoke about just now and also throughout the rest of the show. So Matt, with that, again, I wanna thank you for for coming on and, and spending some time with us. The story was very inspirational and I'm gonna to continue to use what you said as for me to help me move forward. And and before we go here, what's the best way for people to take advantage of some of the stuff you have? Is it, you know, checking out your book or you know, what do you recommend?
1: Well, if, it depends on what people are interested in. You know, there's there's so much out there on servant leadership. So if servant leadership inspires you, you know, you, you could definitely, you could check out my book. There's also a whole institute called the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership, where you, you can find more information on the topic. Uh, mindfulness is a huge topic as well. Uh, I touched on a little bit in my book, but I, I, one of the best books I've ever read, top 10, is a book called Search Inside Yourself. It's actually written by an engineer. Uh, wow. He's employee number 107 at Google.
0: Oh, the Jolly good fellow. is that?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and uh, his book is absolutely excellent. It's a book on mindfulness and emotional intelligence that's based on the um, the program that they've run at Google now for five or six years. So that's a great resource as well.
0: Okay, excellent. So with that, you can check out Matt's book. I'll link to it in the show notes and his website. And before we go today, too, I just want to mention real briefly, I am going to be putting on an event for engineers in Washington D.C. late April, early May. That's intended to help engineers to create extraordinary careers, but also develop yourselves. It's going to be personal and professional development and fun in one weekend. And I'm trying to fund the event through Kickstarter because we want to bring in some real high caliber speakers. And I need your help to do that. And I hope you'll consider coming there. And if you go to the Kickstarter page, you can get there by engineeringevent.com. You can get really, really heavily discounted tickets to the event because you're funding it in advance. So please check that out. I hope you can come down. I'd love to meet with you and help you however I can to create the best possible engineering career you can have. So in the meantime, I hope I'll catch you on the next show and that you continue to engineer your own success.
1: If you want to hear more episodes of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or go to engineeringcareercoach.com where you will find tons of free engineering career resources. Just click the Start Here button on the site for an easy to navigate index of all the resources available. You can also follow Anthony Fasano on Twitter at Anthony J. Fasano or Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash engineer your own success. Until the next time, thanks for listening.